Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. You're listening to KCBS In-Depth. Really, in order to find quality care, you often have to be on a wait list that's months long. The people, places, and issues the Bay Area is talking about. The aggressive advocates who were looking to overrule Roe for so long, they really had no idea of the consequences they might be opening up. In this case, there very well may be charges that are appropriate. For example, trying to obstruct an official proceeding of Congress, right? That is unlawful. This is KCBS In-Depth. Well, the saying goes that a picture is worth a thousand words. And if that's true, video must be worth even more. But as you scroll through your Twitter feed these days, how much can you really trust the photos and videos you're seeing there? Let's say, for example, you scroll to a picture of Pope Francis strutting his stuff in a designer white puffer jacket. Sure looks real, but is it? In fact, no. Jacket Pope is a recent famous example of a deep fake. That is a highly convincing, doctored piece of media created with AI tools. This one was harmless enough, but it is just the tip of the misinformation iceberg when it comes to deep fakes. An iceberg that is now growing ever larger as AI technology continues to advance by leaps and bounds. Welcome to KCBS In Depth, broadcasting throughout the Bay Area and streaming on the Odyssey app. I'm Keith Manconi. Well, the lines between fact and fiction are sure getting awfully blurry. So today in the program, we're asking how much a picture, a video, or a soundbite are really worth now that anyone can use simple AI tools to create extremely convincing fakes out of thin air. There is a lot of room for abuse here. Already, the technology is being used to create images of important political figures saying things they didn't say and doing things they didn't do. Just the kind of misinformation that could sow chaos ahead of the 2024 election. It's also being used by scammers to impersonate the friends and family members of victims and gain confidence. And it's even been used to create fake celebrity endorsements. We are entering into uncharted territory with all this. So to help us get our bearings, welcoming on now our first guest for the program today. That's Honey Fareed, a UC Berkeley professor who studies deepfakes and how to detect them. Honey Fareed, welcome to the program. Good to be with you, Keith. Well, deepfakes have actually been around for quite a while at this point, uh, but still, the technology seems to be exploding at this particular moment. Uh, tell us a little bit more about why it's so much easier to create convincing deepfakes uh, now than, you know, even a year ago, perhaps. 
Yeah, what we've seen is a really remarkable evolution of this technology, which dates back, you know, a little bit more than five years now. And in the early days of deep fakes, they were clever. You could see the power of it, but they were they were clunky and not as convincing as the Pope image, for example, that you referenced at the at the top of the bit here. And a couple of things have happened. So one is computing power continues to accelerate. So we have more and more access to very, very powerful uh, CPUs and GPUs in the cloud. We have access to more and more data that these AI algorithms need to learn how to replicate images, sounds, and videos, and text. And of course, there are more and more people working in this space. And I have a theory that with the crash of the crypto markets, a lot of people have shifted over into the generative generative AI space. So now there are billions of dollars being poured um, in the venture capital to fund this type of work. It's a natural evolution, but it is moving very, very fast. And I think you're absolutely right, Keith, that we are quickly entering an age where it's going to become increasingly more difficult to believe what we read, see, hear online. Yeah. Well, let's help listeners understand a little bit more what we're talking about here. Uh, I don't want to play too much of this, but uh, we're going to play a clip from a deepfake video posted to Twitter earlier this year by a uh, widely followed right-wing commentator. Uh, The video appears to show President Biden giving an address and delivering some news that would be a shock to the country if it were true. Uh, Of course, though, all of this is fake and digitally generated. Putin's illegal occupation of Kyiv and the impending Chinese blockade of Taiwan has created a two-front national security crisis that requires more troops than the volunteer military can supply. I have received guidance from General Milley, Chairman of the Joint Chiefs, that the recommended way forward will be to invoke the Selective Service Act, as is my authority as President. So again, that was a 100% fabricated video um, there. A fake Biden is calling a fake military draft. Uh, We should say, though, that the creator of this video actually made it clear that it was a fake in his post. It was presented as a frightening possible future scenario. Uh, But regardless of how a video is presented, you know, once it's out there, it is out there. And it is easy to see how something like this could easily mislead folks, Hani Farid. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And first of all, what is shocking about that video is a couple of things. One is it wasn't hard to make. Um, You can now go to a website. I'm not going to tell you the URL because I don't want to encourage people to use it. And for $5 a month, you can upload two minutes of audio of President Biden or me or you or anybody you want. And then it will clone that person's voice. And then you simply type and it will synthesize the audio for you saying anything you want that person to say. And importantly, you don't now just have the ability to create the content, but you have the ability to carpet bomb the internet with it through Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and YouTube and TikTok. And so we shouldn't forget that there is still a delivery mechanism here that allows for this generative AI to really have an impact in terms of disinformation and fraud and general chaos. Yeah. So this just feels like an amplification of a lot of forms of misinformation that we've been dealing with over the past several years. I I guess that this touches on a question that I have for you, which is, you know, when it comes to these deep fakes, are we talking about a difference in order or a difference in kind? You know, in some ways, it's been possible to fake a letter or something like that since, you know, time immemorial. We've, we've always had some difficulty making sure that this document or that document is truly authentic. Is, but with, with these convincing videos, these convincing images, and as we just heard, a con- relatively convincing sounds, 
is is there something new here about this level of fakery? I think this is qualitatively different for two reasons. One is the sophistication with which you can now create very convincing fake audio, video, and image with no barriers to entry. Literally navigate to a website, type in a couple of words, and it will generate very realistic images. So that democratization of the access to the technology is new, but also the delivery mechanism is new. We shouldn't forget that the world we live in today is very different than it was 20 years ago because of the democratization of access to publishing, which has had been wonderful in many, many aspects, but also has allowed bad players a pedestal that they didn't have before. So I do think it is qualitatively different. And you can see this in two places. One is the rise of mis and disinformation, the rise of fraud, the rise of non-consensual sexual imagery. But also on the flip side of that is our increasing inability to reason about the world when there are real recordings of police violence, of human rights violations, of a president actually saying something inappropriate or illegal. And so now the waters have gotten very muddied, both because we can't trust the real and because there is so much fake stuff out there. Right. It, it reminds me of the Russian disinformation campaigns that struck the U.S. before the 2016 election. You don't necessarily need to convince people that whatever your campaign is saying is true is actually true. All you need to do to create chaos and confusion is just undermine people's ability to discern between fact and fiction. That, that in and of itself is already a huge problem. That's exactly right. And what happens when there's no more signal out there is you revert back. We become tribal. We know what we know, and the external facts and reality become less important. And I would argue that's an existential threat to society and democracy. Speaking once again with Hani Farid, he's a UC Berkeley professor with a joint appointment in electrical engineering and computer science and the School of Information. He specializes in analyzing images, misinformation, and deep fakes. So walk us through some of the scenarios that you're worried about at this point. And let's start with uh, politics. How could we see this show up in the 2024 uh, election and what kinds of problems could it cause? Well, we're already starting to see this. You have already pointed out one of the fake audio clips. That is one of many that has been released in the last few weeks. They will continue. We will continue to see fake uh, audio and video of President Biden. We are already starting to see fake audio and video of Vice President Harris. Um, that is going to be an ongoing uh, theme. We saw, by the way, uh, in the lead up to uh, former President Trump being indicted, fake images of him being arrested. Um, this technology is here. Um, it's not going away. And I suspect that we will see a growing amount of visual misinformation around the candidates. We're also seeing it in fraud. This happened, whether it was intentional or not, is unclear, last week, where somebody created a fake image of the Pentagon being bombed. It was posted on Twitter on what was a verified account. Thank you, Elon Musk. <laughs> uh, it went viral. It got retweeted by RT. And the stock market dropped a half a trillion dollars in two minutes. Wow. Now, was it intentional or not? I don't think we know. But you better believe that somebody is paying attention to that saying, hey, we can drop the stock market by half a trillion dollars with a single fake image and an $8 a month verified account. So fraud from large scale to small scale is on the rise. The non-consensual sexual imagery, which is awful, is also on the rise. And that trend has been going for the last five years, and I don't see it slowing down. Yeah, so uh, a lot of different scenarios to be worried about. We're going to dig in next into uh, what's to do about all this. Real quick, though, 
want to remind listeners that this is KCBS In-Depth. I'm Keith Manconi. Today, we're talking about how to tell the truth from the lies when the lies have gotten so convincing. Talking about the impact of AI-powered deepfake technology. Our guests are Hani Fareed. He specializes in analyzing images, misinformation, and deepfakes at UC Berkeley. And uh, we're now going to welcome on Corinne McSherry, who is the legal director for the Electronic Frontier Foundation. That's a digital civil liberties group based in San Francisco. Corinne McSherry, welcome to you as well. Hi, thanks for having me. So broadening out the conversation right now, because I want to talk a little bit about how we should respond to all this, and it raises a lot of thorny issues. So I want to make sure that we get as many perspectives on the problem as possible. Uh, First, we should mention that Congress itself is considering regulation of new AI tools. Uh, Last month, it heard testimony from tech leaders, including from Sam Altman, the CEO of the company behind ChatGPT. Uh, He himself actually spoke in favor of more regulation in his sector, though uh, uh, critics would argue that his recommendations don't go far enough. Uh, Some of the proposals up for consideration include uh, creating an independent agency to oversee AI, new transparency rules, uh, possible antitrust rules. Uh, We'll leave it to Hani Fareed to get this portion of our conversation started. Where do you see the most promising avenues, perhaps regulation, perhaps something else to address some of the concerns that you've raised here? Yeah, I got to say right out of the gate, we should be scared when Congress gets involved in this. Um, It is a very slow moving body. It is not particularly the most technologically sophisticated uh, body. And so I think we need to tread very lightly here. But I think we do need to start getting involved in regulating some aspect of this technology. And so one of the things that I've been advocating for, because I think it's fairly lightweight, is that we could mandate that any piece of synthetic media be watermarked and fingerprinted before it's released into the wild. That technology is well understood. It would not impede the ability to innovate. It would not impede on any speech. It's not saying what's allowed and what's not allowed. It would simply say that if you are in the business of generating audio in the president's voice or in my voice or in your voice, if you're in the business of generating fake videos, you need to watermark and fingerprint them for downstream identification. I don't think that solves all of our problems, but I think it, it 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 creates a mechanism where we at least have a chance downstream of detecting harmful content. I don't see an immediate problem in terms of impinging on people's creativity or innovation or speech. Um, and I think it's technologically feasible. Um, I think there are other things we should be thinking about, but what is very tricky in this space is we measure the cadence of the AI cycle now in months. We measure the cadence of Capitol Hill in many, many years, and those are fundamentally at odds with each other. And so we have to think in a very different way of how we regulate so that tomorrow, whatever we do is not completely irrelevant. Yeah, it's just hard to imagine uh, congressional cycles keeping up with all this. Uh, Corinne McSherry, again, with the Electronic Frontier Foundation, I know that you think a lot about uh, online civil liberties, the First Amendment, and in some ways, when we talk about these new AI tools, we're, we're talking about a form of speech. So I'm, I'm sure that you think uh, an awful lot about uh, how the civil liberties might be impacted by regulation in this area. Uh, but I'll, I'll start with a broader question, I guess, actually. What comes to mind for you when you think about what we should do to uh, confront some of these challenges? So, so a few different things. One is, um, I will say out of the gate that I agree that um, uh, we should be pretty nervous when um, Congress gets involved here. And I think that, uh, I also think we should be a little bit nervous when we have sort of, 
you know, the tech titans and the, the sort of the, the people who develop the technology are going to come and tell us how to, how to regulate it or what to do with it. Um, I don't see why we should trust them. To, yeah. It's sort of a few years ago when Congress sort of trotted out all those social, the heads of social media companies, and they came and told Congress what to think about social media. And I'm like, the, why are these trustworthy um, uh, witnesses? The fox um, so, is telling so, us how to regulate the hen house. Yeah, precisely, precisely. And so uh, I also think that um, I think any regulation that happens in this space, you know, should be extremely careful and extremely delicate. And the reason is because it can affect it can also affect innovation. It can also affect future competition. Um, you know, I, we want to have some experimentation available in this space. And some of the proposals I've seen for sort of international regulatory commissions that will, you know, are supposed to sort of sign off in advance before any technological development can happen, those kinds of things. I just think this is that we're going to create a big cumbersome apparatus and, and it's not going to work anyway. So that worries me, but I also want to back up a little bit and say that okay. while I'm, I understand that, and, and I, I'm not trying to downplay that there are issues around defects and misinformation. There absolutely are, and I think there's reasons to be concerned about it. But I do think that, that we need to sort of maybe take a little bit of a breath. I feel like <laughs> a lot of AI is sort of going straight into crisis mode, yeah. partly because people like Sam Altman are telling us we need to be in crisis mode right now. And this is something that if you look sort of at the history of technology, there are these cycles over and over where we have these sort of like, you know, uh, panics around new technologies and how they're being used and what they might do. And everybody goes straight into a sort of level of high anxiety. And very often, not every time, but more often than not, um, when we actually get the research to sort of really investigate the influence, things look a little bit different. And so, for example, uh, people may remember video games and violent video games were going to destroy children and, you know, and, and shape their minds in, in terrible kinds of ways. And then eventually, you know, 10 years later, some research comes out and it turns out, well, maybe not so much. Actually, that concern was not mis was a little misplaced and maybe directed in the wrong direction. Um, similarly, you know, you can go back movies and television. In the 40s, there was initial research that was very concerned that children were addicted to terrible crime dramas and it was creating all kinds of mental health issues. And then 10 years later, it turns out there was more research that said, well, no, that was an initial anxiety and it wasn't true. So we just have to be a little bit careful with technology. One of the reasons to be careful around regulation when there's new technologies is that our initial instincts aren't always correct, mm. uh, both in terms of the effects and the way to get at them. Even with the Russian disinformation campaign that we saw in the 2016 election, there's recent research that suggests it actually wasn't as influential on the US elections as everybody thought. So I just think there's a lot of reasons to be cautious and careful. And the other thing that I would say- Well, I, I think you raised a lot of points there and I wanna take, so we can return to that thought in a second, but I wanna to, want to take that point to uh, Hani Fareed. So I, I might count myself among the uh, sky is falling crowd at this uh, particular moment. So it is nice to get that dose of perspective and that dose of uh, history. W what do you make of it, Hani Fareed, this uh, notion that, uh, you know, the, the new media technologies come and go. Often we have big overreactions and this could just be another example of that. Yeah, I think I think it's a perfectly fair point. I, I would point out, however, that I, I think we didn't panic enough around social media. 
Um, I think we let the social media company, the Facebooks of the world and the Instagrams of the world and the YouTubes of the world go largely unregulated for the last 20 years. And I think we can look at the landscape and say, look, lots of great things have come from that, but some really harmful things have come from it. And in fact, the Surgeon General has agreed. Uh, last week, the Surgeon General said, the evidence is becoming fairly clear that for young kids, social media is probably not safe. And so I, I think you're right. We don't want to overreact, but we also don't want to underreact. Yeah. And I think it is hard to look at the landscape now and say, well, there are no harms. There are no significant harms. We have seen real harms across the board. And I think our reaction should be proportional. I think sitting back and hoping for the best, and I agree with Corinne, I don't think we should be dragging the CEOs of these tech companies to Capitol Hill and asking them how to respond. They are not going to tell us anything. So I think we we have to respond proportionally to reasonable threats. Yeah. Well, on, on that point of perhaps going too far with regulation, uh, I want to dig a little bit more into one of the areas that I imagine, Corinne McSherry, you would be worried about. Talk about the First amend, uh, Amendment, free speech rights. Uh, how, how could that play into uh, regulation? And if, if we did go too far over regulating, where would the problems be on a, from a free speech perspective? Yeah, well, there's a few uh, different things I would worry about. Um, I mean, I think that I think it's hard to regulate, for example, around deep fakes in, in a way that that couldn't be, you know, misused to, to shut down sort of legitimate parody and speech. So, for example, I have clients um, they're, they engage in um, a kind of like uh, deep fakes for positives. And what they do is they they will go in and they will, um, it's sort of a form of culture jamming where they will pose as a company executive, for example, and, you know, declare on behalf of the company that, for example, they've reversed their position on climate change. And uh, the company, um, of course, maybe is like an oil, like you might have Shell Oil, has reversed their position on climate change. And that actually can affect their stock price temporarily. But the and so that would be some fake media misrepresenting their views. Yeah, but the point is always eventually there's a reveal because Shell Oil will come out and say, no, 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 we haven't changed our view at all. And the point of it is to call attention to the fact that Shell shall the um the fossil fuel companies you know are are you know causing climate change right so it's, hmm. it's engaging in parody and satire using deep fakes or using a sort of a form of you know masquerade in order to call attention to a problem and this is actually a very long tradition in US and actually you know English um a speech and satire going way way back where you sort of use an initial you know, take a position uh, that is contrary in order to call attention to to an issue. And so that's the kind of thing that I worry about. So there's sort of misinformation for for in order to harm to to affect elections or in some other way cause harm in the world. But how are you going to regulate that without also regulating legitimate parodies and satirical speech? And that sort of thing. I don't know how to do it. I don't know how Congress can do it. And unfortunately, it also can affect things like watermarks because um, part of the point of these kinds of parodies is to actually fool people, not permanently, briefly, in order to call attention to an issue. And a watermark is going to undermine your ability to do that potentially. Yeah. All right. Well, a lot of good points right there. Going to remind listeners one more time that this is KCBS in depth, your weekly deep dive into the events and trends shaping life in the Bay Area and beyond. I'm Keith Menconi. In the age of deep fakes, 
How can you tell fact from fiction? We're thinking through the risks as new advances in AI make it easier than ever to create fake photos and videos. Our guests, uh, Hani Farid, a UC Berkeley professor who specializes in analyzing images, misinformation, and deepfakes. Just heard a second ago from Corinne McSherry. She is the legal director for the Electronic Frontier Foundation based out of San Francisco. Uh, Hani Farid, so picking up on some of the themes of uh, that last answer, curious for your thoughts on how far these regulations could go because uh, there, there's yeah. an example of um one of the um the voice generating ai firms that uh, we've been talking about but not naming uh, they decided to put some restrictions on um they uh, on on their product make it more difficult for uh people to do this anonymously and then some others uh found the source code and uh folks on 4chan decided we want an anonymous version of this they made their own and so it just it strikes me that when this technology is already out there it seems a little dubious that you know it, it, i guess the cat is out of the bag is what i'm trying to say yeah. Yeah. No, in this space, you understand that we are only as good as the lowest common denominator. So OpenAI did a fairly good job and they when they were deploying Dolly, their image synthesis. They were careful on, reasonably careful on the data that went into the training. They put semantic guardrails on um, what you could ask for. They had some checks and balances on the way out. But then Stability AI came along and said, you know, we don't need any of that. And so that's it. And understand that all of these technologies, the image generation, the deep fake generation, the audio synthesis, the LLMs, the large language models, it's all in the ether. It is all out there. And so it will be very difficult to regulate. I don't think, however, we should just throw up our hands and say, well, let's just give up. Um, I think that everything in my world is about mitigation, not elimination. Um, we need to take some reasonable steps. Corinne is absolutely right. Um, you don't want to say ban deep fakes. That would be silly. I absolutely love the video of Nick Cage in The Sound of Music. He's twirling on the, the mountaintop <laughs> singing. You, you don't, there you, has been you some good stuff. want that internet. You want Tom Cruise TikTok. They're fantastic videos. But at the same time, that same technology is being used to create non-consensual sexual imagery where primarily women's likenesses are being inserted into sexually explicit material, not for satire, not for parody, not for commentary, but as a form of weaponization. And we have to deal with that. And of course, the problem is it's the same underlying technology. So we have to think not so much about the core technology, but about the use and the misuse cases. And the last thing I'll say about this is we can also think about who is hosting this material. Right, because it's not, you can try to go after the creators, but that's going to be a tough gig. But these things are being hosted on the Chan networks, on the Reddit networks, on the Pornhub networks, uh, on Twitter, on YouTube. And so we can think about holding those people responsible for hosting demonstrably harmful content as well. All right. Well, I want to give closing thoughts to both of you. We only have a, a couple of minutes left. Uh, Hani Farid, uh, I, I mean, it's, so we've been talking a lot about, you know, potential actions that could come from Congress or regulation. What about the role for us users? Do you think that uh, all of us need to invest some time in getting a little bit more savvy about the content that we're consuming, being, you know, maybe getting better at spotting these deep fakes before we get into a, say, high consequence uh, uh, election in a year or two? Very much so. I think the solution here is not simple. We need technology. We need regulation. We need better policy. We need better CEOs. And we need us, the public, who are feeding the beast to get better at this. Um, and I think a lot of that is changing our online habits, understanding that social media is not a place necessarily to get news. 
Um, and that when we are sort of part of the problem, when we amplify the worst in human nature, when we are too quick to like and to retweet and to sort of slow down, friction in the system is good. Um, and I think we all have a responsibility here across the boards to try to make a, a, a healthier online ecosystem. All right. A project that we can all get behind. Uh, Corinne McSherry, closing thought to you. Um, I, I know that one thing that you are really focusing on is, you know, uh, regulating the activities rather than the technology uh, itself. So uh, I guess closing thought for you, what would be your, your positive vision? What would it look like if we got this right in dealing with all of these uh, AI challenges? Yeah, so I think I think um, for sure a, a much better internet literacy is is long overdue and necessary. And I think actually we're sort of engaging in a coll collective um, education process um, through through um, trial and error. I also think that the the core thing, and I think what's going to lead to the best best outcome, is to focus on the use that you're worried about. Focus on the thing you're worried about and the people who are engaging in it, rather than the technology for how you got there. So if you're worried about misinformation, if you're worried about fraud, first of all, we have existing laws to address that, and we should use them. If you are in, we have publicity rights laws. We have lots of different laws already on the books. And I kind of think maybe we could start by figuring out how do we use those laws to the ones that we already have to go after the activities that we don't like rather than creating new ones. And then you figure out if you actually need a new law or not. All right. Well, a lot of important uh, perspectives in this conversation, a, uh, a, a spectrum of uh, doom possibilities that we have to consider. Uh, folks at home can make up their own minds where they land on all that. Uh, but we are closing things out right now. We have been speaking one last time to Hani Farid. He's a UC Berkeley professor, studies uh, images, misinformation and deep fakes. Hani Farid, thanks so much. Thank you, Keith. And we just heard from Corinne McSherry. She won last time. He is the legal director for the Electronic Frontier Foundation, a little organization based in San Francisco, dedicated to uh, digital civil liberties. Corinne McSherry, thanks to you as well. Thank you. And thank you all for listening. For KCBS and In Depth, I'm Keith Menconi. Be well. We'll talk again next week. been listening to KCBS In-Depth. Get every episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other podcast platforms. Visit kcbsradio.com for more news and interviews. We are the Bay Area's news station, KCBS. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. 
Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.